But like, like, did it make you? Does Cole make you feel the way Outkast made you feel? No, but nobody makes you feel the way Outkast. You know what I'm saying? Or the way Goody Mob made you feel? No. Or the, or the way no. Black Star made you feel? Or you know what I'm saying? The way right. Black on both sides make you feel? Like, of course not. Of course not. So that's all I'm saying. Like. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to Humans Are Interesting. My name is Namis, and I'm here as always with my brother, Scientific. What up, what up? So in today's episode, we wanted to talk a little bit about the refugee process. And being that we are in a room full of 90s hip-hop nerds, uh, Science and I decided to name the episode Staying Alive, a tribute to the refugee all-stars. That late 90s hip-hop, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we have a special guest in today. It's a longtime friend of mine. Uh, why don't you go ahead and say who you are, what you do, where you're from. Hey, my name is Ruslan. I am a hip-hop artist, spoken word poet, creative entrepreneur, follower of Jesus, and connoisseur of all things dope. <laughs> <laughs> word, word. Um, so tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us where uh, you're from, uh, why you left, how you got here. Yeah, so I'm originally from the former Soviet Union, this little country called Azerbaijan, Baku. And in the late 80s, we experienced the pogroms of Baku, where basically uh, Azerbaijan has always been a historically Muslim state, some affiliation with Turkey, and Armenia has always been a culturally Christian state. And so, uh, and so the Turkish and Armenian people don't really get along. Hmm. Uh, the Arzis and Armenians don't, don't get along. And it goes all the way back to the genocide of 1915, which actually inspired Hitler to commit his genocide against the Jews because the whole logic was, you know, who remembers the Armenians? Armenian genocide, right. Until this day, you know, Turkey won't acknowledge the genocide against the Armenian people. And so there's always been a lot of tension and pressure to eliminate the Armenian people from their state, you know, first Turkey, then Azerbaijan. And so we came out as refugees to the United States in 1991 through this organization called the IRC. And so we moved to San Diego and I fell in love with hip hop music. And all things dope. All things dope. All things dope. <clears throat> so I've heard you tell this story about um, how circumcision saved your life. Can yeah. You, can you can you give the <laughs> listeners uh, the, 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 the so yeah <laughs> the sure scoop. I'm just finding this out <laughs> the scoop on that sure yeah so <laughs> this is according to my mom yeah so Armenian Christians like cultural Christians because they don't follow the Old Testament law like the literal law of Moses so Armenians don't get circumcised. And a lot of Eastern European males don't get circumcised, right? It's it's part faith thing, it's part culture thing, and so it just is what it is. And RZ males, because they are culturally Muslim and they follow the law, uh, they do get circumcised. So I was not circumcised until I was about three or four. I I don't know if I had a UTI or, or something like that, but I ended up getting circumcised a couple years later. And ouch, wait, do you remember getting circumcised? No, I don't remember getting circumcised, but I do know that it happened a couple years later. It didn't happen when I was a baby. So, what had happened was my dad had already left because Armenian males knew, like, it's time to go. And because I'm fair skinned and I look white and I look Russian, we stayed. And so some of the people that were leading the pogroms against the Armenians, I'm not, I'm not sure if they were RZ soldiers, but they, they definitely didn't want us there. And they came to our house to inflict harm. And so my mother said, no, we're not Armenians, and literally pulled my penis out and showed, look, he's circumcised. <laughs> and so that's the story of how my penis saved my family's life. Yo, the Lord works oh, in mysterious Oh, my ways. gosh. The, the second time. 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That only happened once. But yeah, so that's the story of how my people saved my family's life. Very personal story. You feel very connected to me now, right? Yeah, I don't think I'll ever hear that phrase again from I've anybody. I've never a way to write a rap song about that, you know what I mean? Like, or, 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 or do a poem or something about that. But wow. That's, I, according to my mom, this yeah, really happened. I don't. I, I I vaguely remember people coming in and like tension. I vaguely. So it was like that. Like troops were just like storming houses. It was houses. a pogrom, right? They didn't just go it around. wasn't. It wasn't. It, I don't think it was true. I think the troops were like a part of it because right. the, it was a Muslim state. It was like the, you know what I mean. Like every, but everybody wanted us out. So I don't remember if it was troops or or, or who exactly. But there was definitely people who wanted to impose harm on us that came into our home. And so, like, they walked into your house intending to hurt somebody. I, I believe so, yeah. Wow. And my peeps say this. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> humans are interesting, baby. This is what we, this is what we live for. And humans are interesting. These kind of stories. One of the reasons we actually wanted to invite you on the show with your story is that we were talking about refugees. I mean, feel in the United States, there's a lot of misinformation about refugees mm-hmm. during the election. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of people who had this idea of, you know, closed borders, don't let anybody in. Yeah. Um, very, so we, we were talking, we feel like a lot of Americans don't know about the issue of refugees or the process. So just some really quick facts. There are nearly 20 million refugees worldwide. More than 50% of them are children too, under the age of 18. One percent, less than one percent, will be resettled in what they call a safe country. Mm. So there's a lot going on out there. The process. What's the process? Everybody wants to know what's the process. You know, how do we make sure that we don't let quote unquote terrorists in? By the way, nearly all terrorist attacks in the United States after 9/11 have been done by people who are born here. In fact, no refugee has ever committed a terrorist attack in the United States post 9/11. Mm. From info that I can find. Facts, B. Right, Facts. right. Now, there have been people who, who may have come in when they were, like, kids, but they were citizens, but people who had just got here, that just didn't happen, you know? But so what does it take to be uh, a refugee in America? What do you go through? Well, first of all, being a refugee in America, that's the hardest screening process that anybody goes through, mm. any immigrant, no matter where you're from. Mm. Uh, that is the most difficult. It takes about two years. Uh, you register with the United Nations or the IRC. I heard you say that earlier. Um, then you get interviews with the State Department contractors. If you're lucky, you get interviews. You get a background check. Uh, then you get a, another background check. And then a third background check. If you make it that far and you succeed through those background checks, you get to what they call step number nine. And that's where you get your first fingerprint and photo taken. Now, remember, the refugees aren't in the state yet. They're still in whatever camp they went to or whatever UN uh, processing area. Uh, if that goes through, you get a second fingerprint. And then they match it with the FBI and other United States uh, agencies. And if the FBI gives it okay, then you get a third fingerprint. After that, you, um, it, you'll get a case review at an immigration headquarters. You're still not in the state yet. Sometimes there's a, a, an additional review, um, depending on if you're male, if you're single, a uh, number of issues. Then if you clear all of that, and if you're Syrian, by the way, you still have to go through two additional steps. Mm. Uh, for that, so you can add that on. Then you get a, a an in-person interview with Homeland Security officer who will do another background check. If Homeland Security uh, approves you, then you got to get your medical screening. So you get a screen for contagious diseases. And then they get cultural orientation classes, which a lot of Americans don't know. A lot of people think they just come here, they don't know anything about America, and that's it. Actually, most of the time they get cultural orientation classes before they even step foot 
in the States. Then you get matched with an American resettlement agency, which there are several. Um, then you get another multi-agency security check before you even get to the States once again. And then you finally will get on a plane. You'll get a final security check by the FBI and Homeland Security when you first land in the airport. So not just customs. And then, only then, um, if all that is good, you will be resettled in a U.S. city of the U.S.'s choosing. How we think about refugees may be really thinking about changing our thinking, uh, especially considering that most of them are women and children, the vast majority. And uh, just hopefully we can clear up some of the myths that these refugees all come in are terrorists and whatnot. You actually have a better chance of being killed by somebody who's an American citizen who's born here. So good. That's all. Wow. I never knew all that. <laughs> I remember the process not being, it wasn't a simple process. Yeah. Granted, say, do, do, you, do you feel like you guys, has it, is this the way it's been for a minute? Like, did you guys go through all that? There was multiple things we had to do. There was quite a few hoops. And I think after 9-11, they even added more processes, I would assume. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like you fill out a form and then you're on a plane. It was like a, it was a year, year and a half. Yeah, ride. it takes Again, time. my dad left, went to Moscow because he knew we, what was up. Right. We stayed. You know what I mean? And then we went to Moscow, lived there for probably, probably, you know, three to six months, and then finally got approved and came over over here. So I know when there's uh, an issue or something that I'm close to because I, I relate to it, um, and I hear people um, who don't know that I'm affiliated with that badmouth it, I know it, it, it makes me feel a certain kind of way. Like, like as a college student, um, going to a very liberal college, I heard people uh, bash Christianity a lot. But when they didn't know I was a Christian, you know, mm. assuming that we're all in the same uh, of one mind because um, mm-hmm. we agreed on some other political issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always felt a certain kind of way. And so as a refugee, when you hear some of the responses from Americans on Syrian refugees, like, how does that make you feel? Do you feel some kind of association with them? Do you feel completely separated because you've been in the States for such a long time? Mm. No, I definitely identify with anyone that's in another country and hurting and to my understanding, even the Syrian refugees, like, they want to leave because they're in danger. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly <laughs> why. Yeah. These are not the people fighting, you know what I mean? Again, like, they're trying to leave. They're running they're from the same to, people we are. Yeah, yeah like, yeah. they're trying to get out. Like, exactly. they're like, oh, we don't rock with these cats either. So, yeah, it just hits me different. And it hits me different when you see kids. Yeah. Because I was a kid, and I, and I could have been one of those kids. Mm. Like, where had we stayed too long, like... It could have been really bad. I know? mean, if you weren't circumcised, it could have been really it bad. It could have been that really been bad. bad. It too. could have been really bad. And so, yeah, so I think that hits me, you know, harder. And no, and then just knowing some of those facts, like I didn't know all those facts, right. but just knowing that like trying to become an FBI agent, like it's a lot of stuff it's you got to go through. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it's not like walking in and getting a job at McDonald's. Like, it's like, no, 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 they really vet people and they, yeah. it's an extensive process. So, when you start talking about closing borders and you start talking about sending people away, I think it's just very misinformed and fear-driven. And unfortunately, most people make decisions and form their opinions based off of emotion and based off of fear and not off of like, no, what it, well, how do they get, well, is that true? Well, do we have a moral obligation as a country to care for people that are hurting right? right if we're a nation of immigrants and give us our you know give give, give us your poor and you're your tired, your tired and idle masses right? right like if that's the fabric of who we are of our dna and that's the way we this democracy was built 
I feel like we do have a moral obligation and I wouldn't be here. And I'm, you know, I'm at this point, I'm super assimilated and I'm as American as American pie, you know, like I love America. But when I see stuff like that and I and, and, and a lot of people that hold these positions are well-meaning, good people who just happen to be misinformed right. and irrational about the facts of what it, the refugee process. Yeah. The tough part is then extending empathy to those people. True, true. I want them to extend empathy guilty. to the refugees. <laughs> I'm yeah. guilty. But am I yeah, willing no, I to too. extend empathy to them and say, look, you're misinformed and you're fearful and it's not even really your fault. It's it's your responsibility, but it like it's not your fault. It's what you've been exposed, exposed to. to. It's the circle of people you run into. It's the echo right. chambers we live in where we consume our news fragmented. Like we thought technology was going to bring us together because there was more information, but really... It's just made us more isolated. It really us how to find our pockets of people we agree with. Right. Yep. Just right. listen to them. Right. Exactly. Which is scary. Right. Which is scary because then you could put you could put out anything out there. You know. Well, you, you see that now with all the fake news stories going the, out, like literal fake news or just or just really tainted news, like saying. Uh, Black Lives Matter and the Black Panthers were our terrorist organization. Or the Pope endorses Donald Trump. <laughs> or the Pope endorses Donald Which Trump. Is a story right. that well, did you did you guys see the the Denzel clip where he where he talked about this recently? Yeah, yeah. I saw that. I didn't see it. Yeah, it's good. News. You were the subject of a fake news story. Oh yeah, what they say? I was running for president. No, no, no I voted. No, what they say? You switched your support. I switched. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you make of all of fake news and it affects? If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. That's a great question. What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So what a responsibility you all have to be to tell the truth, not just to be first, but to tell the truth. We live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at including BS. I agree with them 100%. The irony too about uh, the you know the false news is you can do a, a search very quickly to find out whether some of this stuff is true. You know, I had a friend who posted a story. I was like, that doesn't sound right, but you know, maybe it is. It checked and it took me like literally 30 seconds to find out that story was false. Yeah. yeah. And I, I submitted it to him like, hey, this is false. Here's why it's false and whatnot. And they just ignored it. But I think it's a, I believe it's, a reflection of where we are as a society where we're the the value of truth or absolute truth and facts mm -hmm. is we just don't care like right we just don't value so even in that like i've had people post stuff and i'll be like wait that doesn't sound sound right, right yeah right snoops like here's a link to snoops right like somebody commented on my thing and they're like the only reason hillary clinton was before trump said it the only reason hillary clinton won is because there was three million illegal immigrants that voted for her <laughs> in california and i like quickly like oh, quickly found it <laughs> and spin and put the snoops thing and then the response is like well snoop is biased snoops is biased that's liberal right. and it's like come on like there's no standard of truth there's no gauge of like no 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 this is absolutely not true well no that's just what you're news source says and that's the i think it's more of a reflection of where we are in a in a very postmodern relative world where everything is well everything's about your truth and my truth right not the truth right right yep and so then did obama tell illegal immigrants to go and vote 
No, like that absolutely did not happen. It never happened. It never happened. It was something that was taken out of context by Fox News, and then they ran with it. You know, so like I think that's the part that's like, man, like where the heck are we going to be 10 years from now? Like, Are exactly, we, are we yeah. just going to de- devolve as humans? Is we going to become idiocracy? You know, like... <laughs> Is that is that is that like our is that like our fate? Like, is it just we just all gonna yeah. get dumber and? It's just these emotional responses, right? We talked about this in the "My Kids Don't Look Like Me" episode. This idea of um, opening lines of communication, getting to know people outside of your bubble, mm-hmm. um, to find out just kind of where they're at and to yeah. and just to learn mm-hmm. and what where we're at and people like you said finding news sources and and, and pockets that just kind of reinforce what they already believe. Um, at the same time, we still are engaged via at least social media. And mm-hmm. so how do we move to a point where we can become more of one mind and the dialogues are actually um, bringing out more truth to more people versus being this kind of back and forth that doesn't really take anybody anywhere? Like the, the right. Facebook debate, like the debate in the comment section 99.9% of the time is going to take you nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. no, I've never seen I've never seen anybody say, you know what, I was right, you were wrong, but I, I think from my position as someone who has influence and has a following and some of my following shares different ideological views and political views, I've definitely had fans be like, "Oh, word, like I've never seen it that way. Like thank you for sharing that." Like, wow, that it's making me think different. Like, so, I've had people tell me that, like, like specifically me talking about white privilege, because to me it's so obvious. Because I'm I'm white and I get all the perks of being white, but I'm also an immigrant and I'm a refugee and I'm Armenian and I like my our history is pretty dark, right? As a people, yeah. so I like I see it from these two different perspectives, and I'm around enough people of color to see like, wait a minute, like me and Namas get treated differently when right. we're out in different places of the country, right? This is interesting. Like, I'm, it's so obvious to me, but even when I speak about it, a lot, like, it's either like, no, white privilege is a myth, you know? And then I'll be like, okay, you don't care. But then there'll be people that are like, hey, can you further explain this to me? Exactly. I, I, I honestly don't understand. Like, help me understand how I'm privileged because I'm white. And, I, and I'll actually take a moment and explain it to them. And I'll use different metaphors. I'll use the whole, like, left-handed, right-handed world, right? Like, we live in a right-handed world, and, you, and unless you're left-handed. And then when I say that to somebody, they're actually left-handed, and they're like, yo, you're right. Like, I feel like I'm at a disadvantage in our system because it's made for and by right-handed people. So that they have an advantage. And I, oh, so race is the same way? Like, <laughs> yeah, it is the same way, right? So, like, I'll use different metaphors based on... And, and I feel like I have an obligation to use my voice to at least create dialogue and at least get people to think, even though obviously talking about issues of race or white privilege or whatever, like these are all things that um, on the surface can appear like they're dividing people. But I think it's good to have hard conversations and use art as a vehicle to stir something in people and people knowing that because I'm white and I appear safe and I'm a Christian that I'm not going to challenge their ideas where I might actually challenge the very like fabric of, cause sometimes we think like a lot of, especially in America, like we think we're Christian when we're really just looking at the world through church culture. Right. Exactly. Sure. And church exactly. culture and the lens of Jesus are, are different. Like it's church culture in America. A lot of times is more influenced by Jerry Falwell and the moral right and less about the lens of Jesus. Right. Truth. And so Facts. when Facts. we, when, when I start talking about these things, like, Oh, he's Christian. He must believe what I believe. And then I'm like, yo, 
I'm an independent. I'm not a Republican. You're not a Republican. Why? Well, because I believe, you know what I mean? Like, and then it, it creates interesting dialogue. And I think personal interaction, like I have to intentionally engage in relationships from my local church, maybe outside of my local church with people who I know voted differently than I did. Mm-hmm. I have to. I have to seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Exactly. And if I do that, then 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 at least I have empathy for them, right? If you talk to white people that feel disenfranchised and feel like the system is rigged against them, like you 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 know that it's not rational, but at least you can start from a place of empathy and say, okay, like I understand why you feel that way. I disagree, but like I get it. Like, and let's keep having dialogue and let's keep exchanging these ideas. Those people are sad too. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna front. Like, wh- like, like poor, like poor white people who feel disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really scary place to be, right? Like the like the like the jobs are leaving. They're going overseas. Like, like you're wait. Like you're so used to like a system that appeases you and then it's changing right and the world and a country and the world is becoming more multicultural and the jobs that were 30 year jobs and then you get a rolex and a pension like those are gone and you don't know what to do and you're afraid like that's a scary place to be in right because you don't you're not trying to evolve you're not trying to be an entrepreneur you're not trying to you know what I'm saying? learn technology like you're just like hey like this has always worked it's worked for my great-grandparents it's worked for my grandparents it's worked for my parents and now everything is changing Changing. and i feel like I can't get ahead. Like that's a scary place to be, right? Like there's, there's, emotionally and mentally. Yeah. There's just like so much into everything you just said. There's like socially, historically, like yeah. all around. I'm not saying it's right. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No, I'm glad you how said it. How can I empathize with those people? But, no, I'm really glad you said it. What I, what I guess what I'm getting at is I hope uh, you guys, the listener, can really um, pick apart what he said and how that relates to everybody else in this country that isn't white, mm-hmm. historically. Right, historically. right. Because historically, everybody's always felt that way except white people. Right. right. <laughs> white, what, <laughs> <whatever> we, <laughs> it's just catching up. White people are finally joining the party. party. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Right, 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 right. White people are finally jo- and then And then you know what? Is, I think what's going to come is it's not going to be black or white. It's going to be about classism. Right, right. Though I am pro-refugee mm-hmm. in a, a macro sense without getting into too much detail, um, I really do understand the uh, the concern or the question with the person who isn't who says, well, wh- well what's the cutoff number? Like, how many um, do we just accept? Like, we, you know, do we, is it a million? Is it 10 million? Is it 100 million? You know, um, and I, I think that's really a fair question. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you guys have any thoughts, either of you, of, I guess, how to, how to respond to that? I don't know what the cutoff is, man. I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know either. I think we can take more than what was it, fifty thousand, or it wasn't even that. It was I don't 10, know. 000. It was ten thousand, right? Yeah, ten thousand. I think Canada even to took more than that. To, to I think we can do more than ten thousand. I know that much. America, you know, it's a, it's a great country. We've historically been built on uh, immigrants and refugees, but there still seems to be a reluctancy. And I think the line between refugees and Things like illegal immigration blur for some people, mm-hmm. you know, That's good. Yeah. Uh, if they have issues with illegal immigration, which I, I understand. 
um, they look at it all has one boat, you know? Take Syria, for instance. You know, Syria was one of the most educated countries in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. So you have people coming coming in who, some have degrees, you know? Mm -hmm. Some have uh, skills, upper skills that maybe somebody in illegal immigration coming from Latin America might not have. Just thinking about it now, as I asked you guys and listening to you respond, um, we can all agree that to put a number on it, we, we just don't know. Right. Um, but what I think we can do as a country, um, as a people, is to uh, to basically change our perspective from, well, we can't fit them all here, to people are hurting, let's see how much we can do. Yeah. yeah. And I think seeing what we can do, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but did you guys know the entire population of the United States can live in the state of Texas and everybody would have 2,500 square feet. I definitely did I not, not know that. Know that. <laughs> so it's not a spatial issue. It's a big country. Right? It's a big country. <laughs> so when people start, because you could take that same logic and apply it to like, oh, you you have four kids? You just have too many kids. Why would you have so many? How are you going to care for all those kids? Where are all those kids going to What are we going to do about population? It's like, look, like, like stop. Like, <laughs> like, stop. Like, we have plenty of space. Right. Like we have plenty of resources. And I and I think I'm, I'm with you, science, in that I feel personally I'm I have an advantage and an edge as a refugee because you see this over and over again. People that come over from a different form of government, a different system, when they get to America, these are the guys that are entrepreneurs and liquor store owners and taxi drivers and restaurant owners because mm-hmm. they get here and they're like. Yo, <laughs> like this exactly. is lit. Like I could what? Like I could start a and I don't like. There's no one trying to extort me. There's there's no government pay off anybody. I ain't got to pay off anybody. Like I don't got to worry about customs fees and import. Like what? Like I'm in. This is lit. You know. And so like I like thinking about like the the families that came over with mm-hmm. us. Like they all did well. Mm-hmm. Like they did great. Like when we came over in ninety one, I think we were the first family to come to San Diego, the first Armenian family. But then the rest of the folks that came over, um, restaurant owners, uh, small business owners, a wow. uh, uh, guy, uh, one of my mom's close friends uh, has his own uh, dental practice, multiple dentist practice, mm-hmm. like multiple offices, wow. multiple doctors. Like the overwhelming majority, like my dad's doing great. Like like the overwhelming majority of people that came over that are like emotionally stable, solid people, right? Mm-hmm. Like killed it. Productive members of society. Productive members of society and like smashed it. You know right. what I mean? Like so it's like that adds value to our country, that adds yep. value mm-hmm. to the economy, mm-hmm. that adds value to them, them providing for their families, them adding a service and that like, oh, there wasn't a Russian restaurant in this part of San Diego and now there is and now people can go have Russian food and that that's valuable that adds value to the person that owns that that lot that owns that building that owns the business next door to the building like people they refugees and immigrants add value yeah right especially if they're coming from you know they're educated So I think people will lose sight of that and then they say well we're gonna do population control what about space and da 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 and it's like no like we have plenty of space. Like we have plenty of resources. Like it's gonna be okay. You know, again, like you said, t- we talk about like I- illegal immigration, even from Mexico. Like they're not 
taking over corporate jobs and I know. middle class jobs. They're doing all the stuff that white people don't want to do. People from the suburbs ain't rushing to go pick strawberries. Right. And so, right. right. You know what I'm so saying? Understanding <laughs> they're starting landscaping businesses and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars doing landscaping. And this is just an example. I don't mean to be like super general. But like I don't know of a bunch of like white dudes that want to go do that. Like white males in their forties that are like, I'm going to own a landscaping business. You know what I mean? Like it's usually, you know, someone from Mm -hmm. Mexico that starts it and then they're like doing well and they're providing a practical need. And it's like, why are you mad at that? Like, why are you upset about that? Like, cause they're not, they're not going to go work in the corporate office. Like they're not going to wall street. They're not, they're not going after the jobs you would normally work anyway. You know, they're picking mm-hmm. strawberries, they're farming, they're doing valuable things. You know, like you guys, I'm sure you guys drive and like you like driving up to like um, Temecula, always off of Deer Springs is a lot of buy five avocados right. for a dollar or 25 avocados. Like those are farms. Those are people. Right. Like mm-hmm. so that those are that's good. Like I can get 25 avocados for five bucks. <laughs> like that's lit because they have a farm. You know what I mean? Because they grew it and I don't got to pay two dollars an avocado at Sprouts. Like I'm in. Like that's I'm a practical in. need for me. I'm so. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm so. I always like whenever I'm out that way. I'm driving to Temecula. I come back with fruit and avocados. I'm like, yo, this is lit. I'm on this immigration you know thing. Like this is awesome. So, you know that like I don't know. I don't think that's hurting anybody that's already been living here. Right. Exactly. I don't. I don't think it is. I don't. I don't. I don't think it is. I think there's enough competition. They seem to be grasping at a different piece of the pie. Right. right. And even if they then go into the the regular sector or whatever, right? Whatever like, call it, yeah. competition is a good thing. That's what capitalism is. <laughs> Whoever does the better job and is more qualified gets the job. You know what I'm saying? And 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 it's going to create opportunity. So that's yeah. Mm. Sorry, mm. that was long. No, that was good. That was good. That was good. So if you want more information, we'll provide some links. There's some really good info. Uh, true information won't be any fake news stories. Definitely educate yourself on the topic. It's always good to do that. Get outside your bubble. So that's going to be our show for the day. Uh, Ruslan, thank you so much for coming out and shedding some light. How do you say peace in Armenian or bye? Dasvidanya. Dasvidanya. Please feel free to comment below. Let us know what you felt about the episode. Uh, if you had any questions, make sure to keep up with us on our social media platforms. Like our page on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, until next time, peace be the journey. That's <laughs> hey. All right.